And we want, uh, how many of you have never heard David Campbell speak here? We got so many new folks. Yeah, there's a bunch of you who never heard him. So we, uh, like Devin said, Dave is our spiritual father and Elaine our spiritual mother, so we appreciate them. They're just fresh from a trip around the country, mm -hmm. Miami, Phoenix. We should, we should have stayed. <laughs> I'm sure it was a blessing, uh, but we're glad to have you back. So David's going to minister to us this week and next week. Let's just pray for David. Stretch out your hands to the man, if you would. Father, we're thankful for David and Elaine and their presence in our midst. We just ask that you'd give him the words today to speak, that he would be a blessing to all of us. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And I said to Rod, <clears throat> if we had been smart, we would have stayed in Miami. <laughs> I never understood people that came from Florida to Michigan. <laughs> I want to speak this morning on the glory of the Lord. And uh, that was the last song, wasn't it? I run into the throne room to see the glory. I don't think that was planned uh, or that the worship team knew that I was going to speak on that. So our ultimate goal in life, <clears throat> forgive me, I've been fighting a whatever. Our ultimate goal, we're always fighting something, aren't we, Doug? <laughs> if we're not, then we might as well give up. <laughs> You'll figure that out. Okay, our ultimate goal in life is to give God glory. But to give God glory means that first of all, he has to give us a manifestation of his glory. We can't give God something that he hasn't already given us. It's so simple, isn't it? You can't, we love because he first loved us. You can't love God unless he puts his love in your heart. You can't have faith in God unless he gives you faith. And I find that encouraging and comforting. I don't have to manufacture anything myself. It's a gift of grace. I can't give God glory unless he gives me glory. Well, what does it mean for God to give us something of his glory? And that's what I want to talk about. Uh, and wherever we are now in our Christian lives, what we want to is, is to move forward toward a greater manifestation of the glory of God than we have now. We want to shift from where we are to where we want to be. And we need a supernatural shift, which can only come from the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I cannot do anything. Talk about moving a mountain, I can't move a paperclip without the Holy Spirit. I'm totally helpless without the Holy Spirit, and so are you. So we want the Holy Spirit to come and help us. So what is the glory of God anyway? How do we encounter the glory of God today? What does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, let me take a, a quick tour of the entire Old Testament. Now, don't worry. I won't be preaching in, here until Pastor Don gets back. We have a second service to worry about uh, to begin with. But I want to take a quick tour of the Old Testament. The Hebrew word for glory... It's the word is kabov, and it means a heaviness or a weight. And it came to mean a wealth or an honor or a splendor, a person of weight and magnitude. 
And of course, the main use of it in the Old Testament is in reference to God, because who has more weight or substance or honor or splendor than God? And then the glory of God appears in a physical manifestation in the midst of the cloud and fire which leads the people through the wilderness. And this cloud also rests on Mount Sinai where Moses saw the glory of God in the midst of the cloud. Even though he was forbidden to see the face of God, he somehow witnessed the glory of God in a physical manifestation. And then it appeared in the tabernacle especially at the hour of sacrifice. <clears throat> and uh, then Ezekiel, in his heavenly vision, and Isaiah as well, they, they witnessed a manifestation of the glory. But the concept of the glory goes beyond just a physical manifestation into something wider and deeper, which is equated with the character of God. So that Psalm 60 says, let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 96 says, declare his glory among the nations. And Isaiah 60 prophesies that the glory of the Lord will rise upon the people of God. And that a day would come when a voice is crying in the wilderness. And on that day, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. So that's a quick survey of all that's leading up to the coming of Jesus. And this leads us into the first chapter of the Gospel of John and verse 14, where it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, John is thinking here, and the Scripture might come up on the I never trust, do I? It may come up on the seat. There it is. I can see it at the back now. I can see the writing on the wall. <laughs> okay. And this leads us to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, John is thinking here of Moses' encounter with God on Mount Sinai. Why do I say that? Because John says he's seen the glory. Now, if you asked a Jewish person in the day of Jesus who had seen the glory of God, they would have said, Moses. He's the one that saw the glory. Nobody had ever seen the glory of God in the way that Moses did. But John uses these very same words and says, I too have seen the glory. And then in the very next phrase, he describes Jesus in very specific terms. He says he's full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory full of grace and truth. Now, those are very significant words because way back in Mount Sinai, when Moses saw the glory, the Lord revealed himself to Moses as the one abounding in love and faithfulness. That's in Exodus chapter 34. The, he, the Hebrew word for love in, is translated in the New Testament as grace. And the Hebrew word for faithfulness in the New Testament is translated truth. Now let's draw the connection. 
Moses saw the glory of God on Mount Sinai, where God revealed himself as love and faithfulness or as grace and truth. And the Apostle John says, we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. John is taking us right back to Moses standing on top of Mount Sinai, seeing the visible manifestation of Almighty God. And that's why John says in verse 18 of John chapter 1, he says, no one has ever seen God. He's still thinking of Moses on top of Mount Sinai. Remember, Moses couldn't see the face of God. He had to shield himself because if you saw God, you would die. He saw the glory, but he didn't see God himself. But John says, no one has ever seen God, but he says, the only God who is at the Father's side, John 1 verse 18, has made the invisible God known, visibly seen. So now this unprecedented encounter of Moses with God on Mount Sinai. That was the encounter in which the people of God were forged and the covenant was given, is being repeated, but on a greater scale. Think for a minute about the significance of what he's saying. We have seen the glory. What's the glory? It's the Hebrew word kabo, that's the manifest presence of Almighty God. It's that which Moses witnessed on Mount Sinai. It's that which no person can see and live. John, how could you say you've seen the glory? You were never on Mount Sinai. You saw no cloud. There was no lightning. There was no wind. There was no earthquake. How can you say that, John? The answer is this. Because he saw Jesus. I don't know how anyone in their right mind could argue that the Bible does not clearly teach the divinity of Christ. Here it is right here in this verse. The divine glory manifests once in a cloud of Mount Sinai, which nobody could approach except Moses without dying, has been made flesh. This God, unapproachable on pain of death, Surrounded by the cloud of glory on the top of the mountain, he turns up on earth, walking the streets of Jerusalem. Everyone is seeing him. Ordinary people are touching him. The unclean, the sinners, the lepers, the woman with the issue of blood, the demonized, even the children are reaching out and touching him. They're seeing the glory. It's incredible. John says more. He says, the word dwelt among us. That word means tabernacled. The Hebrew word is mishkan. It means the dwelling place, the place where God dwells. So John is saying that Jesus tabernacled among us. Jesus' presence on earth was exactly the same as the presence of God in the tabernacle. What happened in the tabernacle? The glory came and filled it. If you make a small change to that Hebrew word for tabernacle, you get the word Shekinah, which is the glory cloud in which God dwells. Only one man, once a year, 
could enter the place of that presence under Jewish law. But now this glory cloud is walking in the streets of Jerusalem. But the religious people are so blind they can't see it. So let me sum this up. John chapter 1 verse 14. He's saying three things. Number one, the God who appeared on Mount Sinai has appeared in the flesh in the person of Jesus. Number two, the entire character of God as revealed on Mount Sinai, his mercy and faithfulness, his grace and truth are embodied in the person of Jesus. And number three, the Shekinah glory of God on Mount Sinai and in the cloud wherever it went was manifest in the person of Jesus. So the question arises, why couldn't the most religious people in the nation, those most learned in the law, those Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and so on, why couldn't they see the glory? Why couldn't they see it when it was right in front of them? It was like standing in front of Mount Sinai. In those days, they were standing miles away. They were so scared when they saw the manifestation. <laughs> and yet when the glory appeared in front of their face, they couldn't see it. Well, Paul explains for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 why they couldn't see the glory. Now, uh, I'm going to read five verses the word glory appears ten times in these five verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, he's talking about Moses on Mount Sinai, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory <clears throat> has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. He's obviously thinking about glory. Now, why the religious people couldn't see the glory is explained just a few verses later, still in 2 Corinthians 3 and now verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Here's the problem. They couldn't understand the true meaning of the law. Their hearts and minds, the religious people, were blind to everything Moses and the prophets had said about Jesus. The reason they couldn't understand is this. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And Paul's now explaining this to the Corinthians. And just like John, he takes us back to the same place in the Old Testament, Exodus 34, Moses on the mountain. And there in Exodus 34, it says, whenever Moses went into the presence of the glory, he removed the veil. But when he came out, he put the veil on because it was so blinding, people would be blinded by it if they saw it, so he put a veil over himself. And Paul uses the example of Moses' veil to explain that there's a veil still there preventing the Jewish people and the religious teachers in particular from seeing the glory. 
It's not the glory of Mount Sinai anymore. It's the glory of Jesus. But it's the same God and the same glory. But he says the good news is whenever a person enters the presence of the Lord, that's when you meet Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. Right? When you enter the presence of the Lord for the first time is when you meet Jesus when you accept him as your Lord and Savior, when you receive the forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit. And Paul says a wonderful thing. He says, when that happens, when you turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. Yeah. And the tense of the word here means removed forever. Once and for all, it's forever gone now the next verse verse 17 2 Corinthians chapter 3 the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom that's good news today isn't it gee doesn't matter what the politics of the country or the world is or how many wars are going on where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. So he explains that God, Yahweh, the Lord of the Old Testament, who revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, he's the same God who manifests himself to believers as the Holy Spirit. The Lord of Mount Sinai, that, that you know that story of Moses, that's the Lord with the glory, he is the Spirit. He manifests himself to believers in the person of the Holy Spirit. The same God who manifested his glory in Jesus on the streets of Jerusalem is manifesting himself to believers in the person of the Holy Spirit. And don't tell me the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity. There it is right there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. On Mount Sinai, the glory of God is manifested in the Father. In the streets of Jerusalem, the glory of God is manifested in the Son. And now in Christian believers right here and now in Firm Foundation Ministries in Centerville, Michigan, the glory of God is being manifest in the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, He brings freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the condemnation, the law. Freedom to live life as it was meant to be lived. Freedom to be in fellowship with the living God. The release of the Spirit is the manifestation of the glory. When the glory of God is released in us, the Holy Spirit fills us, He empowers us, and He sets us free. The gifts of the Spirit are amazing. And I believe in them with all my heart. But if we understand the empowering of the Holy Spirit only in relation to the gifts, we've only scratched the surface of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. When the glory comes and the Spirit descends, as wonderful as prophecies and so on are, the purpose is more than that. The agenda of God is bigger than that. He wants to recreate us as entirely new people. How many know that when you came to Christ, you're a mess? Yeah. 
Sometimes you look at the mirror, you still think you're a mess. Sometimes you look around in your life and there are things that aren't done yet. We, but here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is here to manifest the glory of God in us and recreate us. I don't need renovating. I need recreating. <laughs> I don't need patching up. I need recreating. I need new life. The old life fixed up a little bit is not going to do anything for me. I need a new life within me. And I can't create that myself. But I don't have to. Because the glory has come. Even to me. The Holy Spirit has come. To you. Into the mess of your life. Into your situations. Into your family. He's come with new creation power. Yes, it's a process. We all know it's a process. And we're impatient, just like Malin was when she didn't let Brian fix whatever it was needed to be fixed. It is a process. And I'm, I'm not any more patient than she is. Maybe less. My wife is very patient. She's been patient for 41 years. God bless her. <laughs> it's a process. It will never be complete until we see Jesus face to face. I know that. But how often do I fail to take a hold of the truth of the scripture that in Christ I'm a new creation? How often do we just forget that? How often do we let the burden sit upon us? How often do we figure we've got to fix ourselves? How often do we forget that Jesus makes all things new? The old has died, the new has come. And then he continues, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from the same image, from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we all, he says, with unveiled face. Here's the difference between Moses and believers in Jesus. Moses only, alone, went into the presence of God. He took the veil off until he left the tent, then he put it back on again. But now we're told that whenever any believer in Jesus encounters the same presence of the Lord, the veil is removed once and for all. Under the old covenant, only one man experienced the glory in that way. And it was shielded from everybody else. But now, he says, and we all. <laughs> Notice that. Underline it. And we all. We read over these things and don't realize the significance. And we all enter the glory. And we do so, he says, with unveiled face. That's what I, that's the word that I said, the, where the veil has been removed, the condition is irreversible. We will never go back to our blindness. Folks, once you enter the glory, you can't leave it. Let that sink in. When you have days of doubt and despair and when things are tough, once you enter the glory, God will keep you in the glory. You can't leave it. When I met Jesus 
And then when I encountered the power of the Holy Spirit, my life was transformed. I can still remember the sitting in the room, uh, hearing the gospel, and it dawned on me what it really meant for the first time. I can still remember the moment when suddenly I realized that I truly was saved and had that assurance in my heart that if I died in that moment, I would enter into eternity. I still remember the moment when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon me physically and I was kicking, dragged, kicking and screaming into that. I didn't believe in the power of the Spirit. I didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I, didn't, I mean, God was so gracious to me. But he is gracious. <laughs> As Don says, hello, somebody. <laughs> you know, that's the big surprise. God's gracious even to me. And somebody prayed for me, and I felt nothing. And then I was on the floor, and I couldn't move. And I was drunk in the Holy Spirit for hours. And I began to hear the voice of God and know things that were going to happen before they happened. And I walked into the glory cloud. 50 years ago. No, it can't be 50 years ago. I'm only 39. <laughs> I know that because Doug told me he's 36 and I'm three years older than he is. <laughs> See, I, seriously, my life was changed in that moment. And my wife will tell you I'm far from perfect, but I've never left the glory. And by the grace and mercy of God, the glory has never left me. My life was changed forever. And it says, we enter with unveiled face. And then it says, we're beholding the glory of God. That's a different word, a different kind of way of expressing it in the Greek language. When it says the veil has been removed, that's once for all. When it says beholding, that's a continuous present experience. You enter once and for all, but every day you behold the glory. Every day is an opportunity. What's the glory? It's Jesus who manifests himself by his spirit. Every day is an opportunity to fellowship with Christ, to behold Christ. We're further, we're on a journey further and further into the glory, further into a transformed life, further and further into freedom. The more we behold Christ, the closer we are to him, the better we know him, the more we find freedom. As we think about Christ, as we pray to Christ, as we read about Christ in the Bible, as we see him changing us, as our lives become more devoted to him, as our understanding increases and our knowledge increases, our experience of the glory goes stronger and stronger until the day we'll enter it once and for all. In the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. The great preacher Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his deathbed uh, and everyone's praying for him. And he says, stop. He says, don't hold me back from the glory. He, he saw it in front of him. The Mennonite lady in Indiana, a number of years ago, we were told about, 
She was in a coma. Her whole family's gathered around. Pastor James Holstetler's father told me this story. Uh, and singing hymns. And suddenly, suddenly, after four days, her eyes open. She becomes fully conscious. Her hands are raised up to heaven, to, to the ceiling in the hospital room. She looks up and says, the gates are open. And her hands fall back and she passes into the glory. We long to see the visible glory cloud. It would be nice if the glory cloud came and filled this room. That's wonderful. But the glory is here. It's the presence of the Spirit in our inner man and our inner woman. It's the image of Jesus. It's the likeness of Jesus. It's when we begin to look like Jesus. Think for a minute. The greatest manifestation of the glory of God was not in the cloud of the tabernacle. It was in a man hanging on a Roman cross, dying for your sin and mine to bring us the freedom that we now enter into by the Holy Spirit. And as you follow him in the way of the cross, day by day, laying your life down, sometimes in a painful way, choosing to walk in love and forgiveness, no matter what people have done, that's when the glory will come. That's when the glory of come, will come. It will manifest in us the same way it did in Jesus when you take up your cross and follow him. When you lay your life down for those around you. When you receive the love of God and give it away. The world has enough religious people in it. It was religious people that killed Jesus. We don't need more religious people that talk jargon but don't live love and don't have the Holy Spirit in them. The glory comes when you and I choose to walk a different way than the world around us. When we're aware of the fact that we are nothing without Him, but we are everything in Him. And think about this. In, I am closing. Actually, you know you go to these churches. Don't tell anyone about them. But you go to these churches and they, they put this notice, this, put this clock up at the back. And it starts off in the green. And it ticks down. And suddenly you're in the red. <laughs> and any minute the buzzer's going to go off and you disappear into the basement. <laughs> but thank God the grace of God is here. No one is going to put a clock on Pastor Don Smith. <laughs> ain't going to happen. <laughs> And you, who, you, you, you don't want it to happen either, do you? The glory can come in the last minute. But think about this, folks, and I am finishing. The glory of God that appeared on Mount Sinai. The glory of God that appeared at the tabernacle. The glory of God that was manifest in Jesus. That glory now resides in you and me. 
as ordinary men and women who follow Jesus. The presence of God is no longer restricted to one place where only one time a year one man could experience it. The presence of God is now released in the earth wherever men and women encounter Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. The glory of the tabernacle is now in us. We are one man, one woman, mobile tabernacles of the Holy Ghost. We are created to bring the glory wherever we go. The glory begins in a transformed life. It spills out into the whole wonderful scope of the work of the Holy Spirit in love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and signs and wonders and miracles. And as we become more like Christ, the glory will increase. And one day it will translate us into a glorious resurrection body like that of Jesus. Until that day, saints, behold him, follow him, take up your cross, walk in his love and grace and mercy, and know this, if you do it, Jesus will show up and the glory will come. Thanks be to God. What a wonderful word, David. Everybody stand in this place. What a great word of the glory, how we're all called to host the Lord Jesus and his Holy Spirit. When David was preaching, I thought about in the New Testament where we read of the lame man laying by the pool of Bethesda. And the Bible says he was lame for many, many years. And what would happen was an angel would come down and trouble the waters of the pool and the lame people would run and try to jump in that pool and whoever got in the pool first would be healed. But there was a lame man who was there for many years and he could never get into the pool. He could never reach it in there. He never got healed until one day the glory showed up. One day the glory showed up. One day Jesus showed up and he he did what this man couldn't do on his own the glory came and it brought the healing to a man who couldn't bring a healing on his own he couldn't make it into the pool on his own but when the glory showed up his life was changed forever and what Jesus said to the man was pick up your mat and walk Pick up your mat and walk. So today, as, as we hear the preaching and the teaching of the glory in us, is God calling us to host his presence? Is God calling us into his glory from one place to the next? 